Welcome to the Out of the Woods Podcast. The top five headlines threat hunters need to be thinking of this week. everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to do things a little differently than our normal uh, podcast. Instead of the top five headlines that you should be paying attention to, this week, we're going to focus on top five TTDs and behaviors to hunt for and things that you should be uh, really focusing on. Now, when it comes to TTPs and behaviors, what we're talking about are tactics, techniques, and procedures and behaviors that adversaries have used to accomplish their goals in their cyber attacks and looking through intel reports and you know a lot of the big old wrap-up style reports from major vendors we came up with five ttps that really you know hit the top so the first one is t1059 t being just the technique number from miter attack matrix then we got t1027 t1071 1082 and 1070. now I will be explaining them in a little more depth, so let's dive into that. So for the first one, we have Technique ID 1059, which is the Command and Scripting Interpreter Technique. Now, this falls under the tactic of execution and has plenty of sub-techniques. When we talk about sub-techniques, all that is is it's just a more specific way to explain what's going on. So when I talk about Command and Scripting Interpreter, one of the things I think of uh, because I'm used to being in a Windows environment, is specifically PowerShell and Windows Command Shell, also known as Command.exe. PowerShell and Windows Command Shell, those are more specific ways, so they have their own sub-technique number, but this technique is also covered uh, or covers AppleScript, Unix Shell, Visual Basic, Python, and others. Now, they all have their own sub-technique, but the idea is, even in, no matter what operating system we're working on, this technique exists or the opportunity to exploit this technique exists uh, for the adversaries. So what do you want to identify? Well, you could look at different uh, different processes that are running, uh, such as PowerShell, uh, Command.exe, Visual Basic, you name it. But that alone isn't really enough information to tell you what's going on. Now, if you have these process create logs, one of the key contextual pieces of information that you really need to help out uh, are your command line arguments. Now, what these command line arguments and parameters allow you to do is to build uh, more of a story by adding the context of what those arguments and parameters mean. For example, if command.exe is executing a batch file and you only see the process command.exe, you may never know what's going on. But if you can take a look at the command line arguments, then you can start looking at where that batch file exists how the adversary uh, executed it, uh, and so on. Now, the question is, with this information, where you can where can you identify it? Normally, this this would be captured by the process create logs. Now, this could be uh, Windows event log 4688, which is native to the uh, Windows operating system, or you could use Sysmon event ID 1. Now, when it comes to uh, Linux and Mac OS, there exists the var slash log slash audit directory. Um, that if you do have this enabled, this should create an audit, audit log as well. Um, so different operating systems just have different ways to capture this activity, but it's still capturing 
some of the basic core components of these uh, processes being created. Now, why should you hunt? Hunting for technique 1059, really uh, the adversaries will look to use this TTP to execute scripts, find out information about your environment, especially the ones, you know, whenever they compromise the machine, the first thing they're gonna do is try and figure out what they can do, uh, what they can connect with and communicate with, and what kind of devices in, exist in your environment. They can even create uh, new users to add persistence or to elevate privileges. When it comes to using this technique, they really are using things that exist in your environment already versus dropping malware right away. And what I mean by that is that most of, if not all, of the sub-techniques involve using living off the land binaries or lull bins, um, and which are processes and executables that natively exist on the machine. So they don't have to add anything to your machine. All they have to do is run some commands that are publicly and commonly documented and different ways to execute different things. Now, what they're executing and what their goal is all depends on whatever, you know, whatever they're trying to do. So if they're trying to add users, probably for persistence, if they're trying to figure out what ports are open in your environment, uh, it's probably for discovery. But this type of execution, this type of technique can lead to many different tactics and then being successful. So hunting for this portion of the attack is key uh, to start figuring out things about where are the files being located if they're being dropped um, using like PowerShell downloading a file or something. Or if there are things in your environment, what files or what commands are they running to discover and what are they trying to figure out? Honestly, this is, in my personal opinion, one of the most important things to figure out because if you can figure out what they're executing, where they're executing it, and so on, then, you know, this is just the beginning of the attack versus them at the end. So if you can detect them or hunt for them at the end or at the beginning, my bad, then you could possibly stop them from either getting a further foothold or escalating privileges or, you know, ultimately possibly exfiltrating a bunch of uh, information or ransomware in your environment. So that's a wrap for technique 1059, command and scripting interpreter. Now the second one is technique 1027, which falls under the defense evas evasion tactic. And the technique is titled obfuscated files or information. Uh, and I will stumble over that word a bunch of times, uh, probably through this podcast. So, but stay with me. Um, so what can you identify for this technique? So two examples that I found uh, were looking for fileless storage, which is a sub-technique of the technique. And then we have command obfuscation. So these two examples, uh, fileless storage really can be defined as any storage other than a file. So uh, like memory, memoryless storage. And in the past, adversaries had uh, stored their payloads in like registry keys or, and even in the Windows command, uh, common log file system, um, which if you're not looking for and if you're not auditing properly or enough, you may never see that activity. Um, but you also might see some command obfuscation. And this could fall under, or really in line with execution, if you think about it. So if PowerShell is being, if PowerShell is being used, are they typing in plain text arguments? Are they writing everything out? so that the defenders can read it? Probably not. 
because that could really give up their hand and, and really set them back. Because if you can figure out what they're doing, then you can figure out a way to stop them real quick. So what they'll do is they will uh, use escape characters or different spacings. They'll manipulate the string using different splitting techniques. And they may even use encoding, like base PowerShell uh, base 64 encoding, so that you can't that you have a harder time to figure out what the command really is doing. But we can always decode base 64, but they might use something else, um, which makes uh, di you know, life a little harder. Where can you identify this activity? Well, EDRs and even Windows and Sysmon, they have registry key modification events. So what you can look for are anomalous processes that are modifying registry keys. You can look at the details of the registry key. Are there strange values that exist? Is there one key that is being modified over and over and over? Um, that could be the adversary constantly saving stuff. Or uh, if you think about local storage, if they're trying to exfil something, they might store in registry keys as well. So you want, you know, if you see repeated registry key manipulation and modification from a single source to a single key, um, that might give you a, a heads up. Also, process command line events could capture command line arguments that are looking for, you know, like the command obfuscation. So if you are using, if they're using command.exe or PowerShell and they're using special escape characters or encoding, uh, you could see it in those events as well. So why hunt for this? Well, for the command obfuscation, you can figure out the commands, arguments, parameters that the adversary is using. You may get a better idea of what their ultimate goal is or once again, where they're storing files what they're modifying, if it is the command that's reaching out to the internet or so on. But that's like the, the process creates. If you look at the registry key modifications, then you can figure out, hey, what are they storing it? And if you can start decoding it um, or figuring out what encoding or executable they stored in there, then you can figure out, hey, that's their payload. This, is pro this could be what's actually keeping us compromised and remove their... Um, Persistence, possibly, uh, which would ultimately reduce the dwell time of the adversary. So, KTP3 for the day is Technique 1071. This falls under the tactic command and control, and the technique is titled Application Layer Protocol. Uh, so, this also includes some sub-techniques, so more specific ways of achieving the goal of real command and control communication. Um, but what, what can you identify? So, this one gets... Um, a little tougher simply because we're dealing with primary network logs and network traffic. Now, I know that there's a lot, like endpoints generate a lot of traffic, but I believe, at least my personal opinion, anyone can fact check me or leave a comment or something and tell me I'm wrong, which is fine. But network traffic goes through the roof, in my opinion. So you can look for things like a lot of traffic from different places or a lot of traffic from a single source, but we're trying to figure out this network connection, tie all these logs to a single process, which might be a little harder. Um, now, how can you make life easier? Now there are uh, like log sources like Zeek. Um, there are tools that are NDRs or network detection response tools, which uh, can help you identify because they're, I guess, quote unquote, a little smarter devices and technologies where they can start holding set or looking at sessions, determining a long uh, a long connection or a Nmap scan or you name it, 
Um, so they're a little smarter and can identify different sig signatures of different network traffic. And Sysmon Event ID 3 uh, covers network connections, which could provide some more information on, you know, the process that is initiating this communication once you have uh, possibly identified the destination or the protocol that's being used. Now, what to identify? So adversaries can use different protocols depending on where they are moving the data. And a lot of these protocols exist already in your environment, so it's easier to blend in. Um, so when you're talking about uh, moving laterally or internally or communicating laterally and internally, you can think of SMB traffic, SSH, or, or even RDP. Uh, for an external communication, they'll most likely be using protocols like HTTP, HTTPS, DNS, uh, and possibly other transfer protocols like Telnet or SSH. Now, that gets a little harder, especially if you are dealing with a lot of this traffic and have millions of network logs. But if you start identifying different, looking at things like different sizes, processes that are kicking off and so on, uh, you may be able to identify it. So anomalous processes generating the traffic could help. Um, time, timestamps of these logs could be something you want to look at. Um, is there a lot of information for network traffic that's leaving your environment, you know, after business hours um, or during business hours or even at like lunch during your break? And where's it coming from? Is there one host that's really spiking on the data? Um, or are they, is this data leaving from key devices? Like if you think about a domain controller, you know, communicating a lot of traffic during the day externally, um, that might be something that you might want to hunt for and investigate. Or if there's, you know, a lot of external remote desktop connections being made, these could all be symptoms of a command and control channel existing in your environment. For the next tactic, we have um, T10, or sorry, the next technique is 1082, and that falls under discovery. Uh, the technique name is system information discovery, and this surprisingly doesn't have any sub-techniques. Now, what do you want to identify? Really looking at common processes that are used for normal troubleshooting, um, especially with different issues within an environment. Where can you identify this? Well, because we are dealing with living off the land binaries again, simply because these are the tools that exist already and are easy to use, we want to focus on uh, process-free event logs or event types. So if you think about what living off land binaries can be abused, uh, ones that come to mind are like ping.exe, which can be used to test network connectivity internally or externally. Hostname.exe can be used to discover what the host name of the, uh, the machine is, which, surprise, that was a tricky one. Um, then you got net.exe, which can be used in many different ways. One example is being trying to figure out what users exist and possibly create more users, which is something that may exist in your environment. Depending on how you operate and what procedures exist in your environment, these things can either stick out like a sore thumb or they could be, look just like normal traffic. Now, another big one that comes to mind, and is which is a uh, favorite of like community, is like, who am I? I don't know how many times I've seen those on slides at uh, you know cybersecurity conferences when people are introducing themselves. But tools like that can be used to discover information about the systems that have been compromised.
what do you identify? Well, normally this is a process that, or this part of the attack is a process that is normally automated simply because these tools and the living off the land binaries exist in the Windows operating system. So they know that if they land in a environment that is heavily Windows, they can use these tools. So what they've done is they can automate this process. So they can automate a script or whatever they want to use and run a bunch of these commands to get as much information as they can from your environment in a short amount of time. Once they get that data back, then they can start using it to figure out what their next move is. How do you identify this? You can take like an anomalous approach or take a more process-driven approach. What I mean by that is if you're taking the anomalous approach and you believe that these tools are used legitimately in your environment, you can start by looking at the tools that are being used. For example, ping.exe. If your admins or your help desk use these constantly, you can start looking at or you can look at the event logs and look at who's using it and how they're using it. So really profiling your legitimate users. So once you pretty much uh, establish a like a way of life almost for your users, and you figure out that you know Bob always uses the dash n, which is the count uh, for ping.exe, and he always only pings it once. He always only pings Google once. And you can say that may be uh, legitimate. Or if your help desk technicians never use any other parameters, they just type in ping.exe and then the IP they're trying to target. That could be something that you identify as normal. So anything outside of normal, you can start taking a look at. So if you start adding parameters, or if you start changing the values that the parameters are tied to, you might possibly start seeing a trend or uncovering malicious traffic. Now, when I'm talking about a process-driven approach, because this is automated, you could possibly take a look at a bunch of processes that are executing within a short amount of time or quick succession, which we actually have a package for that that you can find in the Hunter platform. And it's within the suggested starting hunt packages collection, um, which captures a bunch of common activity but it's entitled Excessive Windows Discovery and Execution Processes, Potential Malware Installation. What it looks for is it looks at a list of uh, living off the land binaries, executing from a single source in quick succession. So basically single source, many processes, and a short amount of time. Um, that is once again, going back to the idea that this is commonly automated, this could stick out like a, like a sore thumb. Uh, now I know we have really, really good help desk technicians, out there and there's plenty of them. I don't know how many will fire off a bunch of these living off the land binaries when they're trying to troubleshoot something. Because normally if you're troubleshooting something, you know, you're trying to figure out what's wrong versus just gathering a bunch of information. That's just my take. Prove me wrong. All right. For our final technique, we have technique 1070, which falls under the tactic of defense evasion. And the technique title is indicator removal. Now this also has multiple sub techniques and what you can look for in some of the examples are files being deleted, event logs being deleted, command history being cleared, and one of my personal favorites, time stomping. Um, now time stomping really is 
uh, just a way to manipulate the file's metadata to make it look older or newer than it really is. Now, why would an adversary do that, uh, specifically when it comes to time stomping? There's been cases where to hide the, the initial access, they may take a file and push it back a couple months so that if the uh, defenders or digital forensics analysts find it, they can say, well, it was created three months earlier, so let's look in that time span. And if they're looking for uh, logs that weren't generated during that time frame, they might miss everything, or they might miss the actual compromised activity. And there's even been a case where adversaries will take uh, a file or their payload, and they'll take the the date and set it to the earliest date on the machine, which normally is whenever the operating system was created or installed. So by doing that, they might make their payload blend in and make it look like it came with the machine if you're only looking at timestamps. But that that's that's pretty much what time stamping or time stomping is. Um, I, I just find it fascinating for unknown reasons. But where can we identify this? There are specific event logs that fire whenever a win uh, Windows security log uh, is cleared. So you can look for that. I believe, I'm going to fact check this real quick. I believe it's event code, uh, Windows event code 1102. And yeah, so Windows event code 1102 is titled, The Audit Log Was Cleared. So whenever someone tries to clear their tracks by uh, clearing the audit log, that should trigger, which provides a, a nice indicator that if you, well, if you want, it's almost like a backup. If you aren't, or if they clear using Windows Event Utility uh, and the CL parameter, then you may see that in the command line arguments, process create style event logs. But if you're not auditing that, hopefully you're at least auditing that uh, event code because then you could see it. Um, but you may not know what happened. You just know that the event logs were cleared. But more importantly, hopefully in your environment, there exists some form of centralized logging, whether it be a SIM, EDR, if you're using the forwarded events on your machine or your Windows box, you know, some, some form of redundancy where the logs are being stored somewhere else instead of just on your local machine. Uh, if they're just on your local machine and your event logs are cleared, I mean, you're kind of trying to have a bad day. Then you got to bust out uh, digital forensics. I'm sure they could work their magic and their real dark magic, I guess, uh, figure out what's going on. But that takes time, uh, a lot more time than it would just to store the log somewhere else. I'm sorry, I digress. But you can also look at uh, PowerShell operational logs because there are some PowerShell commandlets that are involved um, in using that. And some event, event logs that capture files being deleted or uh, file metadata, or just file manipulation in general. Now, speci uh, specific commands that cover this activity, uh, when it comes to Windows Event Utility, um, there is the, uh, sorry, I'm going to spell this out, Windows Event Util, which is W-E-V-T-U-T-I-L. It's, it's nice to say over and over. But the Windows Event Utility, you can do the clear log, or you can spell it out or just CL, and then whatever log source that you want. So if it's um, the security, it's Windows Event Utility, CL, security. And that will just clear the log itself, which, ironically, we have a hunt package for as well, titled Windows Event Utility Cleared Log. And that's another community edition 
um, hunt package that you can use to start hunting for this traffic. Really, why should you do that? Well, if someone is clearing the logs, it's normally, uh, unless it lines up with a regularly scheduled maintenance, I don't know how many analysts or uh, instant responders out there can say that this is a normal occurrence. If, if it is the case, um, please let me know because I'm very interested in hearing back about that. But if it's just out of the blue, normally it's not a, a normal thing. Normally it's malicious or at least suspicious because really they're just trying to clear their tracks of whatever they did. Now, the PowerShell commandlets, PowerShell operational is a thing on its own. Um, because you can still achieve the same goals using PowerShell in different ways, they have a whole log source just looking at PowerShell. So the PowerShell commandlets, like remove-eventlog, that can be used to clear logs as well. But you won't see that in your normal process create events. You'll have to have PowerShell command line or PowerShell operational logging, logging auditing on. Sorry, that was a mouthful. PowerShell operational logging auditing on <laughs> enabled to to capture that activity now when it comes to linux or max you can think about rm and that's in command line arguments as well um, and file modification logs if you look at a or if you have this auditing on and you look at the timestamps and you compare those then you can see the values uh, that are before and that are after um, and then you can possibly identify time stomping that's uh, that, that is occurring once again is a way to evade uh, the defenses and um, not get caught really that is our top five TTPs and behaviors uh, I would like to uh, wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a happy holidays um, hopefully you have a peaceful break um, as we're coming up to Christmas and everything or every other holiday that falls in between, I hope all you defenders and hunters out there get the rest you need um, and come back recharged for the new year, which is only going to bring us even more CVEs, even more malwares. You know, you know what it is. That's all for now. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen up or listen in on the TTPs or the top five TTPs and behaviors. I hope you have a wonderful day, and as always, happy hunting. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.